Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I know you're paying attention to global events as well as what's going on in our nation. War and increased conflict is bubbling up in more places. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. Call Oxford Gold Group right now, and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. 833-995-G-O-L-D. Oh, should we start this show? Yeah, I'm down. Just buying a car in Carvana first. Ooh, for real? Yeah, it's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do was answer a few questions. Ooh, that's helpful. And now just customizing my down and monthly payments. Ooh, that's a very fair deal. Yep. Boom. Just bought a car. And you get to take me to the Carvana vending machine in a couple days to pick it up. Ooh. I'm kind of busy. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome, everybody. Wednesday edition of Clay and Buck kicks off right now. Got a lot to discuss with you today. Just quick roadmap, our friends. Friends. Uh, Julie Kelly and Vivek Ramaswamy will be joining us today here on the program. Uh, we'll have Julie joining to talk about the latest legal wrangling around the D.C. case against Trump. Judge Chutkin, the fix is in. We will discuss the latest with her on that one. Don't forget, we are now getting closer and closer to a possible federal criminal felony trial against the currently leading presidential uh, contender for the Republicans. we also going to have, speaking of presidential contenders, Vivek Ramaswamy's on. He's got some very interesting things he wants to bring to your attention. He reached out, said, guys, we got to talk about this. We said, Vivek, let's do it. And so here we are. Um, we've got that to to, uh, to dive into together. Also, uh, Biden tells 813,000 more Americans he has wiped their student loan debt. This was an interesting one today. You're, you're just going to see uh, more and more of this. You're going to see the usage of your taxpayer dollars to bribe different constituencies to try to vote Democrat, something we can certainly discuss in uh, greater detail. An interesting twist. I'm going to leave this one for Clay to set up in a little bit on the I don't even know if we can call it a controversy because it's so stupid and so far from a controversy, but it was a vicious attack on a young boy who dressed as a uh, Kansas City chief at a football game, had black and red paint on his face, and some uh, sheer, just unbelievable imbecile uh, said that this was a version of blackface and therefore there should be NFL sanctions of some kind against the family it was insane turns out not only are people all backing up the boy and his family uh but also there's a there's a twist in that story i'm gonna leave that one for clay though because there's it gets better folks the good guys are winning 
and it gets better. But I wanted to start with this one today, Clay, because tomorrow we'll be diving into this quite a bit. Um, and, and it's going to be, I think, a moment in time where we maybe take a little bit of a pause from looking at the Republican primary and also talking about Biden's long-term prospects and look more at the state-by-state phenomena that are going on in this country right now, red versus blue. Wall Street Journal has this opinion piece up. DeSantis versus Newsom, a scorecard. Here's a cheat sheet to keep track of Thursday's debate. And you look at this, and it breaks down the numbers. Employment, for example. Employment since January 2019 has increased by a million in Florida while declining by 85,000 in California. Unemployment, despite a shrinking labor force, California's 4.8% jobless rate is the second highest in the country and nearly twice as high as Florida's. You go down the list. I can't go through all of it right now, except in every metric where everything where you could look at numbers. Yes. Florida beats the, the, you know, the absolute tail off of California. I mean, just absolutely crushes it, right? And yet, People still talk about Gavin Newsom as a likely Democrat presidential contender. Are we at the point now where ideology is so strong in the blue states that results don't matter? Yes. And and that's one of the scariest things to me about where we are as a nation. Let me hit you with two more stats here that I think really kind of go to the essence of this. You live in Florida now. Florida has really good weather, Buck. Wouldn't you expect that there would be massive amounts of homelessness on the streets? Miami, Tampa, Orlando, South Florida, where the weather is really good. This one jumped out at me. Federal government counted 171,521 homeless people in California last year versus 25,959 in Florida. Um, and they've effectively decriminalized drug use, which makes it harder to force addicts on the street into treatment. Now, Per capita, Florida has a smaller population than California, but even adjusted per capita, California has way more homeless people. And I know for a lot of you out there listening to me right now who are in uh, Southern California, there are many great neighborhoods in Southern California that have been totally taken over on the beachside community. Santa Monica, for instance, Venice, with a huge number of homeless people, even all the way down the coast into Orange County, for instance. It's a major quality of life issue. I would just wonder, what is Florida doing? Again, I'm comparing South Florida, which has great weather, with Southern California, which has very good weather, too. What is Florida doing that they have so many fewer homeless people taking over streets? That should be something that's studied. I mean, you've probably noticed that as someone who lives in South Florida now, Buck, there's almost no one uh, of a substantial numbers that are homeless in Miami. Compare it to L.A., it's night and day. Well, it, it all ties in together. The 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 phenomenon of uh, homelessness and and urban decay in California is tied directly to if you have to think of these as all interlinked. They have effectively decriminalized. I mean, you can start with San Francisco. It's somewhat true of L.A. as well, though you know the cities are a little bit different in how they're approaching this. And then statewide, overall, it's true. Um, they have largely decriminalized drug use in public, right? So start with that. So what does that do? Well, now you've got you've got weather where you can effectively camp outside year round, 
If you Same were homeless, you right? But if yes. you were homeless, you would think I'm going to try to get to the place that is the most comfortable where I'm not going to freeze to death, right? Yes. Like, if, and that would be if, if you South tried Florida, to, to camp Southern outside uh, of the streets uh, of, you know, Helena, Montana, for example, it's going to be a really rough January, right? Yes. Like that's that's not going to work. So you can't do that. But you can do it in California, you can do it in Florida. Okay, so then what, what all ties in together? They've decriminalized drug use in public. The drug users then, to, to, and, and keep in mind that these are people overwhelmingly, when we talk of homeless, the old model of homelessness from like the 80s and 90s, and I had a, I had a grandfather, actually has a school for disadvantaged children named after him in the Bronx, New York, um, and he did a lot of work with, with the homeless population in New York. The older model was people would talk about Someone lost their job and they lost their house. We got to get them back on their feet. Or this family's down on their luck. And there are actually pretty substantial resources, certainly in places like New York and Los Angeles, to help someone who is down on their luck for a period. When you're talking about the homeless population, you're really talking about vagrants. Many of them are vagrants by choice, meaning that they're people that are effectively choosing to be unhoused so they can do drugs and have drug addictions. That is the overwhelming, this is by the numbers, 70, 80% plus, maybe more like 90% plus of the people you're talking about. So this isn't someone who lost their job and lost their house, right? So then, Clay, they got to feed the habit. What do they do? They sell drugs. So now they're selling drugs to people. So they're expanding the population of likely drug-addicted homeless in these areas. And then they start stealing. They don't enforce the laws on theft in stores. and So then they steal to buy the drugs. And then if that doesn't work, they just start robbing people and, you know, having, you know, uh, going crazy because they're doing all these drugs. This is all very understandable how this happens. Gavin Newsom, though, is like, yeah, it's really a conundrum. <laughs> and then I love the evil Keanu uh, Reeves as Gavin yeah. Newsom. Here's the other one that, that I flagged. The number one way to determine, I think, whether things are going well in a state or not is population. If things are going well, more people want to live there. If things are going poorly, less people want to live there. Between July 2019 and July 2022, again, this is the Wall Street Journal, latest available census data, 1.44 million Californians left for other states. Now, Buck, this is an important data point. The population in California went up every year since it became a state in 1850 all the way up to 2020. Think about how wild that is as a stat. What is that, 170 years, the population of California only grew. Gavin Newsom becomes governor, COVID restrictions, they suddenly lose a million people. Simultaneously, Florida has gained 737 people. And that goes to, we've talked a lot about this with New York City. California lost $55.7 billion in adjusted gross income between 19 and 21 from that population, while Florida gained $80.6 billion. Florida's getting better. California's getting worse. And that cycle seems to be perpetuating itself I think the comparison between these two states is utterly fascinating, which is why that debate with Hannity tomorrow on Fox News is going to be, I think, for people who watch it, so eye-opening in terms of data. Yes, and you obviously have two very ambitious and uh, widely recognized governors who are ideologically you know, very much aligned. You know, There's like Larry Hogan, people talking to the governor of Maryland. Is he even a Republican? Was he a Republican? No one knows. Right. DeSantis is clearly a conservative red governor, 
and and Newsom is a liberal blue governor, although I hate the usage of the term liberal for these authoritarian status, but still, he's a leftist. And and I think that what you'll see here in the uh, debate tomorrow, but just it's playing out more broadly all across the country, and people see this, and a lot of our audience includes people who, because of COVID, uh, and I think it's because COVID showed how much your state government actually matters. I'll be honest yes. with you. We just kind of accept, like as a New Yorker growing up, you're like, well, hopefully they keep the city clean and the, you know, they back the cops. And other than that, our taxes are going to be high. This place is a mess, but that's the price you pay for being in New York City. And then COVID came along and you're like, okay, so this is actually an authoritarian, uh, in, you know, insane asylum. Like this, yes. the people running this place are morons and they're, uh, they're somewhat dangerous actually to your freedom and, and to your property. Um, and so people moved. That happened in a lot of places across the country. Clay, some of the Democrat response to this is all going to be, this is the cost. You see this with like California's, uh, emissions rules and environment. You could just, we could do a whole three hour show on how messed up California's environmentalist regulations and rules are. Affects dramatically the price of housing, makes it way more expensive for people to get ho- housing in California than it would otherwise be because, you know, they're, you know, they got to do another study on like the Delta smelt or the three toed sloth or they don't have those there, but you get what I mean. <laughs> um, that would actually be pretty cool if they introduced sloths into California, but they make these decisions out of ideology and they think that that's a price they pay to be better people. That's certainly the case in California. That's the California mentality. And this is, I'm somebody who thought about moving to LA at one point as an adult. The other part of it, Clay, federal bailout. That's the thing that they really would love to be able to get to, where the federal government is kicking in more and more money for these blue states. So then when you move to Tennessee or you move to Texas, too bad. Your taxes are still going to prop up these failed states. And that's happening because most state governments have to be balanced, whereas the federal government can just evidently keep printing cash, and so they give the bailout to the state governments which is what we saw a lot of. One more data point here, Buck, to kind of put a, a, a bow on this. Student learning. California spends 45% more per pupil, K through 12, yet Florida is outperforming in terms of the number of their students that are considered proficient by a pretty substantial margin by the NAEP. Um, again, all of the data is going to be on Ron DeSantis' side tomorrow with Sean Hannity. I hope that the data overwhelms what will likely be the glibness and the smiliness and the California wine mom infatuation of uh, Gavin Newsom. Can I give you I mean, the preview of how this is going to go tomorrow? DeSantis is going to sit up there and he's going to be like, all right, so we are better on ed- education and employment and have lower taxes and... You know, we're instituting these policies, and Florida's winning, and all of that is true. Then Gavin Newsom's going to be like, all right, so we're a dystopian hellscape. So we can't get crime or homelessness under control. So our drug addiction is through the roof. So our state's falling apart. We're not about to turn this into the handmaid's tale, Ron. You know, it's just that's it. We're not banning books. We're not trying to restrict part. Yeah, like you know what his line is going to be. He's just going to go after him. I'm sorry, Ron. Fascist says what? You know, and Ron's going to say what? And, you know, this is what's going to happen. It's just going to be he's a gonna blame. He, here is one that I think crystallizes this in addition to all these other facts, Buck. And maybe we mention this when we come back and I'll bring it up. Disney World versus Disneyland. I think it's a compelling example 
I'll give you some of that data when we come back. But Disney World versus Disneyland epitomizes to me DeSantis versus Newsom right and wrong as we came and continue to recover from the excesses and failures of much of our government during COVID. We live in a world fast becoming influenced by artificial intelligence. Some might say a world improved by AI. Time will tell, of course. There are risks, too. But according to tech expert Colin Tedards, this is just the beginning of a new era that could make you wealthier than ever before, but you have to invest in the markets the right way. And there's one mega tech company that is all in on AI, and Colin has been following it. This company has spent over $200 billion on their AI project. The CEO of this firm says AI will impact everything, and AI may be bigger than the Internet itself. Through Colin's knowledge, he's found a little-known supplier that's delivering a key piece of technology, making this new AI project possible. He's confident anyone who gets shares in this supplier today could see massive gains. But you need to act now before it's too late. There's a fair amount of activity around this company already. Get all the details at newaiproject.com. This could be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Check out this website for yourself, newaiproject.com, paid for by Brownstone Research. The torch of truth, past and still lit every day. The Clay, Travis, and Buck Sexton Show. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and... Producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Why are people still on the fence about owning gold and silver? I just don't understand. Have we already forgotten about regional bank closures, inflation, global instability, and the potential for serious world conflicts? You can look to precious metals for various reasons. One, having tangible currency on hand as part of your bug-out plan. Two, diversifying your portfolio as a hedge against inflation. And three, historically, gold increases in value over time. You keep yourself informed about global events. You see the increase in conflicts around the globe. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. The people with Oxford Gold Group are real pros. They make owning gold and silver simple and easy to understand. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. One more time, 833 833- 995-G-O-L-D. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. 
Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com news and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com news. Identity theft protection starts here. You know, if you look at history and you open a newspaper of any month, of any year, you know, of course, there's always tough stuff going on, wars and depressions and recessions. And But if you look at this time and what's happening in Ukraine, a 600-mile front, a free and democratic European nation, 600,000 casualties, huge humanitarian crisis, NATO on the border of NATO, nuclear blackmail, uh, and it's affecting, you know, all oil and gas migration, food costs, and all international military and economic relationships. That's pretty tough. And that was before the terrorist attack in Israel. And so I look at those things as kind of, it's dangerous. We're at a rough time right now. That's That was Jamie Dimon, who is uh, the CEO of the biggest bank in the world, JP, JP Morgan Chase. And uh, he's a... Clay, I think you'd agree. He's he's an astute guy. He's a smart guy yeah. uh, to get to that that place. He certainly understands the markets, the economy, and has to keep an eye on international international affairs. And he's just saying what we all see and know, which is that this is this is a messy world we are dealing with. Uh, probably get into a little more of the Biden administration's latest on the Israel Hamas war in the third hour today although we also have a guest I think uh, is Vivek third hour or is uh, Julie Kelly Vivek's here? third hour Julie Kelly's v- going to be with us next hour well, we can talk to Vivek uh, talking to Vivek about Ukraine and Israel might make some headlines Ukraine you know comma and then Israel um uh, so I think that'll be interesting anyway this is the moment Claire where we start to see we're going to start to see more and more I believe going to the end of the year and then the new year some of the Democrat plans to try to just grind out however they can, uh, some kind of victory for, for Biden. And then they'll figure out who's really going to be president, you know, going into 2024 once the, the ballots are counted, however they're counted, however they're cast. Um, and you see this, I think, with the student loan, uh, plan here. Biden, as I said at the top of the show, 813,000 more Americans have been told their student loan debt is wiped. That's not really the appropriate term, as we know. It's really just transferred. Now this just means that this is something that uh, the, the, the debt transfers from one to another, in this case transfers to the taxpayers overall. Uh, so he's forgiven a total uh, of $127 billion for 3.5 million borrowers. Now, I just note, Clay, you know, Biden... Uh, did much better than Trump did with with particularly the young cohort of voters, like 20 to 30, 20 to 35. That's an area of strength for him. And it seems to me this time around, the plan is going to be, there's a, a lot of things they will do, but one of them is just use the taxpayer's money gun, take the taxpayer's uh, credit card, if you will, and just start start going on a spending spree to buy off who they need to buy off to get the votes they need. Yeah, and you could see this was what was going to happen when the Supreme Court struck down his initial student loan relief, and again, it isn't actually relief, it isn't actually forgiveness. Anybody who uses that term uh, is not being honest with the audience that is reading. What happens is somebody else's debt obligations that they took out to receive an individual benefit and education is then put on to you and me and everybody else out there who 
either never took out loans on our own educational behalf or paid them off like I did. Buck, I didn't pay off all my law school loans until I think I was 37 or 38 years old. Um, not uncommon. By the way, there's many of you out there listening to me right now, I'm sure, who have been paying off debts that you accrued in education or graduate school or wherever you may have gone for decades. Um, and that's not uncommon. So you paid your debts. Many of you will have paid for kids and grandkids based on the fact that you saved up to be able to take care of your family's own educational needs. You may have paid off kids or grandkids loans to try to make their lives better with your personal savings. And now the federal government comes in and says, hey, we're just going to wipe all this clean. And you now, meaning you, me, and everybody else out there who never took out these debts, have even more debt to have to pay off. And it's all a game designed to allow Democrats to say to all of these younger borrowers in their 20s and 30s, Joe Biden cares about your financial situation. He's going to take away your debt. And then the Supreme Court strikes it down. And what do they say? Oh, it's the big bad Republicans and the Supreme Court, many of whom were appointed by Donald Trump, that won't allow you to get out of the debt that you yourself created. And ultimately, this is just an abdication of individual responsibility, which is the foundation now of much of the left's ideology that you are not responsible for your own choices, but instead that there's a collectivist group that should take on uh, your responsibility. And why should people, um, I mean, l- l- let's look at it this way. People are struggling right now if they've bought bought houses recently or bought a home to live in because of the mortgage rate. The mortgage rate is a function entirely of government policy. This is Fed decision-making. And it's Fed decision-making in response to overspending that the government did. So you can make a case that people that are getting crushed by mortgage payments right now who can afford truly half the house value now that they could have two or three years ago based on the rate change on a month-to-month basis, where's you know where's their relief, right? And you start to say, why are we privileging? I mean, I understand the argument. They say, well, you know, we, we encourage people to go to college, and then the debt isn't dischargeable, and... Credit card debt isn't really dischargeable these days either. It's very hard. And people are putting on credit cards now food, clothing, gasoline. So, you know, we don't want people running around naked and starving to death in America. So why don't we just wipe away credit card debt? Not only that, the housing situation is, I think, a ticking time bomb. Um, and, And not only commercial real estate, which you've heard us talking about, which is also a major issue, but let me just give you uh, a, a rough approximation. We are selling now fewer homes than we have in decades. And part of that is the mortgage rates being up 7 8%, as many of you out there know. But also, it is not leading to a decline in prices. We're selling fewer and fewer homes, but prices are continuing to tick up. I think they were up 3.9% on average in the past year. Why is that? Because... The supply of available housing is not where it should be because so many people are fortunate enough to have low interest rates locked in that they're not putting their houses on the market. And the people who are putting their houses on the market are still getting more money, which means many of you out there that are renting right now are completely and utterly priced out of being able to buy a home because the amount that's required in combination with continuing to rise housing prices and interest rates is leading to a devastating 
uh, economic hit on many people. And, Buck, think about this for a minute. What should happen when mortgage rates go up in a rational and free environment, housing prices would come down because the amount that people have to afford to pay for housing is not growing at the rate that is required with those mortgage rates and also with the increase in housing prices. But because mortgage rates accelerated so rapidly, many people out there, and a lot of you are listening to me right now, are not going to be putting your house on the market because you can't bear to give up your 25 or 3% mortgage to take on a 7% or 8% mortgage, even if you would like to move because you got new kids uh, and they're starting school and you want to be in a, in, a, in a better school district. Or maybe you're elderly and your kids have moved out of your home and you don't need the big house anymore that you've got and you'd like to be able to move, but you're not going to give up that 2.5% mortgage. I've got a 2.5% mortgage. I haven't paid it off. Uh, I'm, I'm fortunate I could. I, I want a 2.5% mortgage. I got a 2.5% mortgage in my, uh, rate in my house right now. I would be a madman to pay off that two and a half percent mortgage that I've got uh, when mortgage rates are seven and a half or eight percent. And a lot of you are in a similar position to me. Um, and that is curtailing the overall availability of housing in the in the entire nation. Isn't the Treasury at like four percent, four point five percent right now? Ten year Treasury uh, note, something like that. I yeah, four point five, I think. 4. And the 5, and yeah. the current rate is, I think, five point two five to five point five percent in terms of what the Fed funds rate is. So again, they're probably going to come down because I think one of the ways that Biden's going to try to juice the economy um, is they're going to try to bring interest rates down, probably starting in the spring. I would bet on a couple of rate cuts before the election. So Biden can argue we beat inflation and now we're bringing interest rates back down. Uh, but that is where we are. And many of you are now handcuffed by the financial rapidity of the rise. And this doesn't even get into buck. I'm seeing this. I've got some commercial real estate investments. Um, there are lots of banks out there that do not want to refinance loans because they have got so much debt on their books that is from an earlier era, they are avoiding and trying to get out of commercial real estate exposure, which is leading to many different properties out there that rely on people to show up. And again, commercial real estate was only 50% of people basically are even going into the office now. We got a ticking time bomb going on there uh, that is slowly going to reveal itself as many of these low rates get wiped off the books. And a lot of deals from a real estate perspective don't paper at uh at at the at the rates of mortgage uh, properties that we're talking about right now just every decision that the federal government makes in the next uh year is going to be that the i mean the entire machinery of of the federal government including the fed which i know is independent sure it is uh it's all going to be made to paper over and delay any reckoning of what has been done to the economy and the playing the games with rates and the debt and everything else. So just look at it that way. And I think you'll, you'll be able to anticipate they will pull every lever they have to confuse people or to mislead people about the true strength of the economy so that Democrats can stay in power. That yeah. will be the whole plan. That's right. You're a hundred percent right about that. And, uh, and a lot of you out there are going to see that that is totally broken. Uh, but in the meantime, look out. Uh, look, saving money's good. Uh, we all commit to doing so one way or another. A lot of you trying to save money right now based on where the economy is, based on what you're having to pay for housing costs. There's a great app that's saving people money on gas, groceries, restaurants called Upside. 
You get actual cash back from your everyday purchases, saving you money on the items you're purchasing more often. Upside is an incredible app for anyone who buys gas, groceries, or dines out. To get started, download the free Upside app, create an account, and when you do, use our promo code Clay and Buck. So you get an extra 25 cents back on each gallon of gas you buy with the first use of your Upside app. If you like saving money, app's going to help you wherever you are. It tells you the gas stations or the grocery stores closest to you that give you money back. And there's dozens and dozens of them to choose from. Restaurant choices, whether it's Subway, Jersey Mike, Starbucks, list is long, very recognizable. In comparison to credit card rewards or loyalty programs, you can earn three times more cash back with Upside, probably why they have a 4.8 star rating on the App Store. Download the free Upside app today and use our promo code Clay and Buck for that extra 25 cents back for every gallon on your first tank of, that, uh, of gas, the Upside app. Great money saver all year long. The Clay and Buck Podcast Deep Dives with cool content. Surprise guests. Get it all on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back in. Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show, joined now by one of the most diligent and hardworking people in all of media, Julie Kelly, who has been covering the January 6th cases in a way that, frankly, almost no one else has. Uh, and we appreciate all the work she's done and coming on the show for almost three years now, uh, off and on, to continue to update all of you. So first, thanks, Julie. Second, Buck and I have been talking. By the time we come back from New Year's, we are going to be about eight weeks out, theoretically, mm-hmm. from the start of Jack Smith's trial against Donald Trump. Is that actually going to start, you think, on March 4th? Where are we And when would we find out if March 4th is not going to be go time? Because for as much attention as everybody's given to Iowa and New Hampshire, which are obviously on the horizon too, even more unprecedented is we're not very far away from what would be the start of the first criminal trial of a leading presidential candidate in any of our lives. Right. You're exactly right. And there is a pretrial schedule of sorts already uh, that's been underway now for the past few months. And I'll tell you what is going to start on January 9th is the beginning of the jury selection process, which should be very interesting. Um, we're still awaiting Donald Trump's lawyers to file a change of venue motion, which we are expecting really any time. But she will deny that, as has every judge who's handled a January 6th change of venue motion, denied every single one. Um, but by January 9th, Judge Chutkin has asked both sides for a draft of a jury questionnaire, which will be sent to hundreds of D.C. residents to begin weeding out unqualified jurors as uh, they try to pick an impartial jury in a city that voted 92 percent for Joe Biden. So that will begin right after the first of the year. What what kind of other decisions have we seen, Julie? Thanks for being here with us uh, from this judge that indicate the uh what what trump can expect here and my understanding is that there have been a number of motions put before her and that effectively at this point um anybody who thought the fix was in beforehand is looking like that was a a prescient analysis (laughs) well it certainly is because as we expected with judge chutkin and I've talked about with you guys repeatedly, she already has a record of making inflammatory statements about Donald Trump himself, about January 6th, and of course, people, his his supporters who went to the Capitol that day. So she's already portrayed and proven herself, quite frankly, to be a brazen partisan. 
And the fact that she's handling this case, of course, they filed a motion for asking her to recuse. She denied that. No surprise there. But she is acting as a non- another member of special counsel Jack Smith's prosecution team, a rubber stamp. So we know that, of course, she imposed this broad gag order against the president, his lawyers, and unspecified parties. That now is on appeal. A three-judge panel at the D.C. Circuit heard that appeal last Monday. A three-judge panel made up of all Democratic judges. I'm sure you'll be shocked to hear that. It's on a temporary stay or hold until they decide what to do with that. Um, Donald Trump has filed three motions to dismiss Jack Smith's January 6th indictment against him for selective prosecution. Of course, a very strong argument there. Unconstitutional and just not meeting the statutory obligations for those four counts in the indictment. Those are still sitting on her desk. But what she did this week is she denied um, defense defense counsel seeking subpoenas for government, for witnesses for the defense, including missing materials that the January 6th Select Committee did not turn over to the incoming Republican majority as they were required to do by its enabling legislation. I'll have a piece up on that soon. There are records, especially uh, Secret Service records and others who their transcripts are not available. Furthermore, you guys, remember we were told that all the materials would be turned over and made public. All of the video interviews, you know, the clips that we saw during the televised primetime hearings, all of those video, full video recordings have not been turned over to the House, to Congress. And that is in violation, again, of the enabling legislation. But what she denied this week is she said, oh, there's no such thing as missing materials. This is a fishing expedition. It's not relevant to the indictment, which, of course, it is, and denied Trump's motion to compel the production of those missing records by NARA and other uh, bodies who are supposed to have them. Julie, I, I just want to go back to the timeline again. You said jury selection process could begin January 9th, right out of uh, New Year beginning. I, I keep asking you because I think it's so significant. March 4th is the day before, if I'm not mistaken, Super Tuesday, when there may well be a Republican nominee officially selected. Do you think that Trump is going to go on trial March 5th, or do you think we're going to end up? I mean, that's basically three months from now, if I'm doing the math right here. Or do you think this thing is going to get delayed more substantially and the trial will not begin uh, on March uh, March 4th? I still am surprised, and I'm not completely satisfied that Jack Smith is not going to add a superseding indictment. I know this is something I've talked about with you guys repeatedly. And a superseding indictment would add defendants to this case, and we know that there are six unindicted co-conspirators listed in this indictment, in Jack Smith's indictment. That includes individuals like Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, Jeffrey Clark, John Eastman, people who have been charged in Fannie Willis's indictment. So there's still a chance that he will want to add defendants and add charges. And I'll tell you why. And we've also talked about this. One of the four counts against him is sort of in legal jeopardy, and that's the obstruction of an official proceeding count. That could very well be headed to the Supreme Court because there are now petitions filed before the Supreme Court to take up the legality of the DOJ using that obstruction count against 300-plus January 6th defendants, including Donald Trump, if the Supreme Court agrees 
to hear that case to reverse the appellate order that has upheld this count, that's going to put his whole indictment at risk. So there's still moving parts to this that I don't think are settled enough to say definitively that that March 4th trial date will stick. Now it could, because we know that they want to expedite this process and get Trump behind bars before election day. Um, So Jack Smith still is going to have some obstacles ahead of him. So there's a likelihood that the trial would be delayed if he does uh, hand down a superseding indictment for this case. But for now, I guess we have to look ahead that that date will stick and jury selection process will start. And then you're going to start to see so many more motions filed, you know, motions filed, seeking uh, the appellate court's involvement. And then, of course, the Supreme Court as well. Speaking of Julie Kelly, you can check out her Substack Declassify with Julie Kelly. And Julie, before we, uh, before we close up here, I just wanted to know the new Hunter Biden strategy of going on offense, despite the fact that he's already been indicted once and maybe indicted again. <laughs> can you shed any light on what you think the future of, uh, the Biden incorporated legal reality will be? You know, it's so interesting. Uh, You know, he, look, we've seen Hunter Biden interviewed. He's a very good performer. We know that he's an artist. So I think that he will portray (laughs) himself, you know, as a victim here. He will turn on the waterworks. He will try to get sympathy, um, you know, that he was a legitimate businessman. His father wasn't involved. And so this is just all optics. It doesn't look like House Republicans are going to fall for it. Um, But quite frankly, I, I... I'd like to keep the pressure up and the focus on what's happening with Donald Trump and the January 6th defendants who are still being rounded up, arrested, uh, prosecuted, sentenced to excessive prison time, um, because I think that that poses a far greater danger to the country and certainly to the 2024 election uh, than, than sort of the theater related to Hunter Biden and who and when and how he's going to testify. All right. Outstanding stuff as always, Julie. You got to keep us updated. Shoot us texts anytime you got an update and you need to come on because this is going to get, if they actually start this trial in March, I don't even know how (laughs) crazy it's going to be. But I guess last question really quickly. Do you think there's going to be television cameras in this courtroom? I know Jack Smith has opposed it. The media outlets have all been in favor of it. Trump has been in favor of it. Chutkin obviously does not seem to dislike media attention. Do you think that she would make an exception on a federal trial here, or do you think this is going to be something that people have to cover from inside of the courtroom? This is going to be a huge battle because, to your point, we have Trump's attorneys and major news organizations who are seeking at least one camera in the courtroom, which is generally not allowed in federal trials, but if not a camera, at least real-time audio access, which the D.C. appellate court has. So I'm not sure how Chuck can get, get away with completely cutting off any sort of live coverage of the proceedings, even if it's just an audio, you know, YouTube, which the appellate court has. But Jack Smith, this guy is so dirty. He is so shady. He wants to keep discovery evidence hidden from the president himself. He does not want any real-time coverage. Of course, he wants a gag order. Um, so, you know, this is a prosecution that is he wants held basically in secret. And for major news organizations, and you have to be in the courtroom then or one of the media rooms to, to cover it because they he wants friendly news organizations to put their spin on what's happening instead of hearing Judge Chutkin, Jack Smith, and all of the evidence uh, in real time so the American people can have access to this unprecedented criminal proceeding.
Julie Kelly, everybody. Julie, thanks for being with us. Thanks, guys. Always appreciate you having me on. Some organizations are on a mission. Preborn is one of those. For 17 years, they've opened their clinics to pregnant women making a difficult choice between life and abortion. Preborn's goal is to empower each woman to choose life for their unborn child. They do that by offering free ultrasounds to those women and plenty of support for the first two years of motherhood. The gift of an ultrasound is often the difference maker. When a mother-to-be meets her unborn child and realizes the miracle of life in a new way, it often leads to the birth of that child. That's what the staff at the Preborn Networks of Clinics have been doing every day, and the results are heartwarming. Each day, they're helping to save the lives of 200 babies. That's an accomplishment, particularly in a day and age when abortion is so prevalent. Preborn relies on donations to exist and be effective. And now, through a match, your tax-deductible gift is doubled. And because Preborn supports both mothers and babies with diapers, car seats, counseling, and more, for up to two years, you can offer double blessings. Now is the time to put your year-end write-offs to work. Please donate today and allow your money to have twice the impact by uh, with the matching gift. Use your cell phone, dial pound 250, and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, say baby, or go to preborn.com slash buck. That's preborn.com slash B-U-C-K. Preborn has a 100% charity rating sponsored by Preborn. Want more Clay and Buck that you didn't hear on the show? Get podcast extras in the Clay and Buck podcast feed. Find it on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Why are people still on the fence about owning gold and silver? I just don't understand. Have we already forgotten about regional bank closures, inflation, global instability, and the potential for serious world conflicts? You can look to precious metals for various reasons. One, having tangible currency on hand as part of your bug-out plan. Two, diversifying your portfolio as a hedge against inflation. And three, historically, gold increases in value over time. You keep yourself informed about global events. You see the increase in conflicts around the globe. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. The people with Oxford Gold Group are real pros. They make owning gold and silver simple and easy to understand. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. One more time, 833-995-G-O-L-D. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean exactly that, free. Switch to Pure Talk today and get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fees, just a Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and a top-tier data security system. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk will connect you to the most dependable 5G network in America, for half the price of Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. The average size family saves almost $1,000 a year. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team 
help you make the switch today. Just go to puretalk.com slash buck and claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash buck to switch to my cell phone company, Pure Talk. Third hour, Clay and Buck kicks off right now. We've got our friend Vivek Ramaswamy with us now. He is running for president of the United States. He's in the Republican primary right now. Vivek, always appreciate you making the time for us. Good to be on, man. How are you? You know, pretty, pretty good, pretty good. Uh, I wanted to get your take first off. I mean, we're, you know, we're um, on the cusp here of a, of a debate that you, you won't be a part of. One of your competitors, Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, will be tomorrow. This Gavin Newsom, Ron DeSantis throwdown, the blue state, red state, uh, Thunderdome, if you will, or, or, you know, the, the, the big, the big battle underway. What do you make of what we're seeing here? How do you think it's going to go? I, I don't really care one way or another. I think it's a, a random charade between, you know, I think it's interesting how um, Ron DeSantis wasn't running for president for a year and a half while being a governor in much the same way that Gavin Newsom is also now not running for president. That's absolutely what Gavin Newsom is doing. So I think it's a nice little win for Gavin Newsom to be able to pre-bolster what will almost surely be the the seat that he takes as the Democratic nominee after they get their puppet Joe Biden out of the way. I do think that we're missing the point if we think that Joe Biden is really the nominee. The Republicans who have trained their fire on Joe Biden are missing the point that he's not really, in any meaningful sense, the president or the nominee. He is a puppet for the managerial class. And so in some ways, I think that this does a great favor to providing a platform for Gavin Newsom to be able to advance and get a head start on that presidential campaign, but without actually having declared it. And, you know, Republican establishment that once again continues scoring a series of own goals. It doesn't surprise me that they have failed to see that for what it is. I agree with you uh, that Joe Biden is not going to be the nominee. Buck and I have a stake bet over I this. I, I do not agree. So I think <laughs> yes. this is going off the rails real fast. But go ahead. So you may be able to come join us on that uh, on that dinner if we end up being correct. But if you are right and if I am right that Joe Biden is not going to be the nominee, you think it will be Gavin Newsom. How do they get past Kamala Harris without being racist and sexist? And how does the fix happen? I was debating this with my wife the other uh, the other day. How do they go about removing Joe Biden? What do you think that process would look like? Because I agree with you that he's not yeah. going to be the guy. How do you see it playing out? Well, they've already got the cards lined up a little bit. So first of all, the Kamala Harris problem is easy. You make a hollowed-out husk of a joke of the vice presidential role and have her do, be in the place where she can do the least damage possible. Be the vice president. Give her no responsibility. And that's the one thing that I would say that Joe Biden has done well is make sure that Kamala Harris doesn't have any responsibilities. So I think the, the the less she does for the country, some people make fun of her for not showing up. I think that's been one of the great national services she possibly could have done <laughs> was actually to stay far away from anything that affected this country. So I think that can just continue for another another four to eight years in the Democrats' view. So I think that's, that solves the identity politic problem. Now, what about the Biden problem? To the extent that there there is still a man who has some semblance of free will left in that in that uh, body, you know, what, what if he doesn't want to step aside and out of the way? Well, here's the answer to that. This is what the so-called documents investigation on Biden is all about. And a little bit of the Hunter Biden investigations play this role, too. These are cards that I think they don't want to pull unless they have to. 
but they are what you call in the business world a call option, right? I think that that's a option that they can exercise if they need to in order to get the old man out of the way. And so that's what that documents case is all about. And there's, there's a little bit of a twofer built into that, because when they do that, even if Biden cries foul or whatever, they already have the narrative set up to say that, well, they said that we had a politicized investigation of Donald Trump in the documents case. But see, now we're just applying it even handedly, that there is actually one rule of law. That's sort of the Merrick Garland deep state line that they have ready to go. It legitimizes everything they're doing against Trump while also getting Biden out of the way in one fell swoop. And so I think that's kind of how the managerial class deep state operates. It operates and transcends above the lines of traditional partisanship. And so they'll just close the loop in both addressing the allegations of politicization of the justice system while using that very justice system or injustice system, as the case may be, to sideline Biden and achieve the actual goals of the managerial class that has lost or will have lost their use for Biden. So mark my words, or maybe I should say our words on that. <laughs> we're on the same – at least one of us is on the same side of this. And I think yes. it'll be in the next three to four months that this happens. And I'll even give you a very specific prediction on timing. What they're waiting for is for the Trump trials to begin, and that's really when they'll be able to slip that in while minimizing the fallout from it. Because their bet is that he'll be almost the runaway nominee by then, wait for his trials to begin, and then and then roll that out. I think that's what the establishment – in the managerial class of the Democratic Party is currently thinking. Speaking of Vivek Ramaswamy, he is running for president. And Vivek, um, you've you've got some interesting numbers uh, looking looking forward here into Iowa and and New Hampshire. Um, what what is your pathway here, and 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 why at this point? I mean, you're still still very much in the mix. Uh, why at this point should it be you and not just Donald Trump, who's out? 30 points, 40 points, depending on the poll, ahead of the pack. Yeah, so look, I think it's going to take a leader from the next generation to do this. I think you get to be an outsider once, and unlike the other candidates who are trying to Monday morning quarterback Trump after kissing his feet and begging for money and endorsement for years, I'm the other way around. I have not been kissing Donald Trump's feet, but I respect his legacy, and, and I think that he's been an excellent president. But I think it's going to take somebody from the next generation now to take that America First movement to the next level. And if you look at there are certain things, I've, issues I've espoused in this race. I mean, from being open about the fact that Ukraine is not some democracy and our own taxpayer money is funding the persecution of Christians in Ukraine or the persecution of Christians in Armenia, or for that matter, the fact that we need to shut down agencies like the FBI or that Ronna McDaniel needs to be fired or the fact that the climate change agenda is a hoax. And one of the Iowa-specific issues, a carbon capture pipeline that they're using and building across the state, using eminent domain to seize the land of farmers to bury carbon dioxide into the ground. Across any of these issues, there's a reason why I'm the only Republican candidate who's actually been able to stand for these issues with a spine. I'm an outsider in this race. And you know what? Every politician is dancing to the tune that their biggest donor on that debate stage in my case, that biggest donor is me, and I think that that's a big difference between me and the rest of this field. I think Trump had a big element of that, which is why I respect him. But now it's going to take a leader from the next generation with fresh legs to actually reach the next generation. Forty percent of our donors right now are first-time-ever donors to the Republican Party, which is unheard of in our party. It's normally 2%. We're bringing young people along in droves. So I think I can win that general election in a landslide by bringing those young people along. I also think my path that you're asking about, I think we're going to shock the world with what we do in those first two primary states, including in Iowa. 
So I'm undoubtedly among the major candidates right now, the underdog. But I think that's exactly where we want to be sitting. We're going to shatter expectations in Iowa and New Hampshire, and that's going to propel us forward to the rest of this race. And, you know, I think that having the expectations set where they are is exactly where we want them. You know, guys running my Iowa operation used to do this for both of Santorum in 2012 and then Ted Cruz in 16. And, you know, I'm pulling ahead of where Santorum was at this time in that race, and he ended up winning Iowa. Santorum didn't have the money to continue, though. In my case, we've lived the American dream. We are stopping at nothing to succeed in reviving this country. And so, yes, I'm confident we're going to be able to go the distance. You've done more events, I saw you share this, uh, than anybody. Uh, I think Ron DeSantis in second place. If you are not correct, right, let's say you don't uh, shatter expectations and you're not the clear number two in Iowa or New Hampshire, would you consider endorsing anyone other than Donald Trump? Or if at some point you have to put your support behind someone else, is it fair to say Trump has got your support, uh, that he would be your guy? Or would you consider Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis or Chris Christie or somebody else? I mean, I mean, I think someone like a Nikki Haley should come nowhere within spitting distance of the White House, not just in the presidency, but even as it relates to touching our foreign policy and marching us into World War III so they can make more money off of it. So put that to one side. I've said it's been very clear since the beginning. There's two America first candidates in this race, and I think it needs to be one of us that leads this country. That's Donald Trump or myself. I think I'm uniquely positioned to take our agenda further because I can reach the next generation to do it. And you know what? So I expect Donald Trump's full support if I'm the nominee, and he'll have my full support if he's a nominee. But I think that it's got to be an America first candidate, and there's really only two of them in this race. And I think both of us can win a general, but I think I could do this in a landslide, and I can do this in a way that, frankly, goes further with our own agenda because we're going to bring that next generation along. We're already seeing that in this campaign, and I think that's the way I'm going to lead this country as well. So I've been crystal clear about that. I think it's it, the answer to your question is not even close. It's either Trump yeah. or myself. Okay, so we had Chris Christie on Wednesday, and I asked him the same question. And he said, obviously, he's very anti-Trump. He specifically said that he wouldn't support you. He said he would support Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis. Mitt Romney basically said the same thing. Why do you think Chris Christie and Mitt Romney have that perspective? And I'm curious, given that Mitt Romney was the nominee in 2012, can you think of a bigger Republican turncoat than Mitt Romney? It'd be hard. I'd be hard-pressed to do it. I think that his niece, who's running the RNC, has been an abysmal failure. Ronna Romney McDaniel, who is running the Republican National Committee, has led us through failure after failure after failure after failure. 2018, 2020, 2022, and 2023, her salary's nearly tripled in the meantime, and so I called for her resignation. So I think that that family, uh, you know, doesn't, I think, have a lot of warm feelings towards me. But the reason is deeper than that. It's an ideological divide in the GOP. Do you want to go back in the direction of Dick Cheney in believing that it's the job of the U.S. to serve as the global arbiter, as the policeman of the world, while a bunch of people in the military-industrial complex get to make money doing it, from Dick Cheney to Nikki Haley to a lot of people on the Democratic side who are benefiting from this financial grift of our military-industrial complex as well. Is that the direction you want to go? Or do you want to go to a future where the U.S. president has a sole moral duty to the U.S. citizens right here at home? That's a fundamental ideological split. And I think that Chris Christie and Mitt Romney and Karl Rove and Dick Cheney and Nikki Haley and Lindsey Graham, 
dead. You know, you can just go straight down the list of that Republican establishment, Chris Sununu, whatever. They're all on one side of that ideological divide. And on a certain day, Ron DeSantis is too, though sometimes he's, uh, you know, Schrodinger's Ron, as I like to call him. You never know whether he's inside, what which side of the wall he's actually on, to, to play on a physics analogy here. But, you know, I think that everybody else, you know where they are. They're on one side of that divide. And I think Donald Trump and I are on the other side of that divide. And so it's clear why that Mitt Romney, he was clear. He said he would rather vote for Democrats in 2024 than Donald Trump or myself. I take that as a kind of positive endorsement, but I don't think he meant it that way. Regardless, I think America first is the way of the future. I think we're bringing along. See, I was just in an event. I'm here in rural Iowa looking at farmland on a bus as we're talking here. We actually just at that last event, I had a number of people who were independents, one of whom was a libertarian, said he switched over his registration so that he's able to vote in the caucus for us. These people are not polled. These people, I think, are going to be what allow us to shock the world. The set of people who are not polled, who are actually supporting us, the numbers are wild in Iowa and in New Hampshire. Iowa in particular, that's going to be a shock. And so I think we're going to be successful in not only winning the nomination, but precisely because I'm getting that backing. I think I can win the general in a landslide like what Reagan delivered in 1980. And I know that sounds about as ridiculous for me to say as it did for Reagan to say in November of 79, but that's what I think we're on track to do. And, you know, it's not just even winning the election that's the destination for me. That's just the start line. The destination is January 2033 when I leave this office after two terms. What do I want to say we did? I think we're going to shut down the deep state, declare independence from China, keep us out of World War III, revive national pride in this country. And I think I'm the single candidate who can do those things better than anybody else. And so we're going to see this through to the end, and I think we're going to be successful in doing it. Vivek Ramaswamy, everybody. Vivek, appreciate you being here. Thank you, guys. Take care. That is going to be interesting, right? If he's right and he's going to bring out a lot of new voters, then that would be intriguing to see. If he's not and he doesn't exceed expectations, I I don't know that I've seen him say anywhere else that he would endorse Donald Trump. It's not shocking, but I think he's the only person remaining in the race who would endorse Trump. Uh, we'll talk about that a bit more when uh, when we come back. In the meantime, MyPillow, company focused on making comfortable products for your home. No matter what you get to experience in the way of their products, pillows, sheets, slippers, their towels, they're all manufactured with comfort in mind. New line of towels, perfect example. Soft, thick towels, absorbent from the first time you use them. You won't find these my to- my towels from MyPillow in stores, but you'll find them online. If you're looking to replace and upgrade your towels, you'll be amazed you can get towels of this quality and for 50% off. The introductory price on a six-piece set, just $29.98. Designer premium line, just 20 bucks more. Every set comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee. Go online to MyPillow.com. Click on the radio listener special square. You'll find the My Towels right there in a multitude of colors. Use our names, Clay and Buck, for the 50% off. That's MyPillow.com. Use the code Clay and Buck. Speaking truth and having fun. Clay, Travis, and Buck Sexton. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Head in store and shop for all your favorite personal care essentials to earn four times rewards points. Shop for products from Olay, Always, Gillette, Vicks, and Crest. Plus check out new items like Mr. Clean Magic Eraser Ultra Thick Multi-Surface Cleaner. No more sponges or other cleaning products needed. And Head & Shoulders Bare Soothing Hydration Shampoo, a new kind of anti-dandruff shampoo with only nine ingredients. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details. 
The Tunnel to Towers Foundation supports America's greatest heroes, our service members, and first responders who die or are severely injured in the line of duty, as well as homeless veterans. These are heroes we all owe a debt of gratitude to. The Foundation's Gold Star, Fallen First Responders, Smart Home, and Homeless Veteran programs honor the sacrifices made for us. We're honoring the men and women who risk their lives and bodies for our country and our communities. The Foundation's Never Forget programs engage people in 9-11 remembrance across America with over 80 runs, walks, and climbs a year. Not to mention there are dozens of golf outings and barbecues. The Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute educates kids in kindergarten through 12th grade about our nation's darkest day while helping our nation keep its vow to never forget. More than 95 cents of every dollar you donate to Tunnel to Towers goes to its programs. Never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices of our country's greatest heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. An official message from Medicare. A new law is helping me save more money on prescription drug costs. Maybe you can save too. With Medicare's Extra Help program, my premium is zero and my out-of-pocket costs are low. Who should apply? Single people making less than $23,000 a year or married couples who make less than $31,000 a year. Even if you don't think you qualify, it pays to find out. Go to ssa.gov extra help. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services.